Well, uh, last week we talked about insecurity. And I just want to think a little bit about fear. Is fear bad? Because we look at, you know, when we're... Nowadays, you know, the fight and flight. We're not, we're not brandishing um, spears and killing wolves and you know, going to get hogs and hunting anymore. The fight and flight instinct. I was just listening to, to Brene Brown. Uh, says that the fight and flight instinct comes in even in just conflict, right? When you are uh, in front of someone and they have just said something inappropriate or said something that you are reacting to, you start tunnel visioning, you start getting sweaty, you start, you know, you start going, oh, the fear and the flight and flight, um, the fight and flight instinct steps in. Is it okay to be scared yeah and doctors will say at that moment you're in this what they call it, this sympathetic yes adrenaline overload yes and the very things you needed to fight off a saber-toothed tiger yes you know the tunnel vision uh being flooded with oxygenated blood you know mm. in your peripheries all right but now they're working against you well mm. you know fear as you Fear is the reaction that kept us alive. You know, yes. if you see a snake, you got to jump. Yes. If there's a saber-toothed tiger, yeah, you got to yeah, run yeah. or hunt or throw a rock at it or a yeah. spear. But in our Western society, you know, it's rare to come across a snake or a saber-toothed tiger yeah. anymore. So often now our fear reaction is over-calibrated mm. and it's kicking in when it shouldn't kick in. Mm. So it's all about knowing how to calibrate our fears. Yeah. So what, what are our major fears in society today, you reckon? Well, first of all, you need, you need the fear performance curve. Yes. The famous fear performance curve yes. where if there's no fear, you're not going to perform. It's yeah. fear that makes us get our homework done, study for exams and deliver that killer presentation mm. at work. Mm. Without the adrenaline, you would not perform. But as we know up to a point, the fear performance curve yes. has this tipping point where too much fear now hampers performance. Yes. Now you don't perform well. Yeah. You know, you freeze in the exam, mm, you freeze mm, in the presentation. Mm, mm, mm. Peter Sandman from the USA, who is a risk communication expert, says the hardest thing about calibrating our fears is our heart and our heads are out of alignment. Right. What do you mean by that? Is it because our heart is wanting to run or our head is wanting to run and our heart is wanting to... That's right. Where they both play the right part and sometimes the wrong part. Sometimes we're calm when we should be afraid, but other times we're afraid when we should be calm. So easy examples are, you know, if you go to the beach, we're afraid of sharks. Our heart tells us what a horrible thing it would be to be mm. attacked by a shark. But our head says, come on, there are only one or two fatal shark attacks in Australia per year. Yeah. You know, your chances of a shark attack are so low, mm. they're, they're almost non-existent. But at this moment, our hearts are more alarmed. And no matter how much our heads tell us our hearts not to be alarmed, it's very hard to stay calm. But then you get the flip side where we're calm when we should be alarmed. So 
alcohol is an example. You know, we all have a very blase attitude. Mm. Alcohol, oh, one more drink can't yeah, hurt. Well, yeah. there are way more alcohol-related deaths in Australia than there are from shark attacks. So here, our hearts tell us to be calm when we should be alarmed, even though our heads are saying, oh, I think there are quite a, like tens of thousands of alcohol-related deaths mm. a, a year. Mm. So I should be more alarmed. And this is where the pandemic caught us all out because we didn't know whether to over-calibrate or under-calibrate our fears. Our hearts are saying, I think this thing's way worse than what the experts are telling us. And our heads don't know whether to overact because then we look silly. That's why we, we're not quite sure whether we yeah. want to wear a mask in public yet because yes. I don't want to look silly. Yes. But at the same time, our heads are saying, hey, but I think our hearts are right on this. Yes. So our heads... Our hearts are quite alarmed during the pandemic, but our heads don't know which way to go in this. So where does the panic buying fit in? Is that the heart overreacting and the head overreacting as well? But they say we, we're afraid of things we can't control. So that's why we're afraid of the shark, because yeah. I can't control a shark. Yes. But I'm not afraid of my car, but I'm way more likely to die behind the wheel yes. of my own car than I am from a, shark. from a shark. But I feel like I'm in control. We're also afraid of the unknown. So we're more, way more afraid of the snake than we are of uh, the can of VB, yeah. alcohol, because I know alcohol, but I don't know about snakes. Yeah. And we're way more afraid of the bizarre or the man-made, you know, like the, the electric cables you know, bzz, buzzing outside my house, are they going to give me cancer? When, hello, the sun out there is guaranteed to give yeah. you cancer, but we all walk out without sunscreen and without a hat. Mm. So because the sun's natural, I know it, it, it seems very normal. So it seems like in, say, the moment of panic buying, because just a couple of weeks ago, uh, when the spikes hit again for, for COVID, panic buying of, of um, toilet paper happened again. And it seems like it's us wanting to control what we can control so that it alleviates our stress of what is what we can't control. Is that right? I think that's what they say. This is one thing I can control. And at the same time, this would be one thing that would be horrible to run out of as well during yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So you get a bit of those two things. So it is interesting looking at the different countries and how they've all reacted to the yeah, pandemic. Yeah. In Australia, we love to make fun of all the other countries. Oh, oh, look at America stockpiling on guns. Apparently there was a run on guns and Harley Davidsons before <laughs> the, the, the lockdown. But in Australia, apparently we, we panic bought toilet paper way more than almost any other country. And we stockpiled on alcohol, apparently more than any yes. other country. Yeah. And I still love the Australian government where even in the highest level of lockdown, we were still allowed to not only exercise, but buy alcohol because that was an essential service and get our haircuts. Whereas almost no other country in the world let people get their hair cut. So back to fear. What is good fear and what is bad fear i guess yes yeah, a fear that is appropriate to the context and the circumstance so if there is a snake you do need to be afraid if there's a mm. saber-toothed tiger you do need to run mm. if there's an exam you do need to study but when it's 
overwhelming fear, then that's not good. And if it's inappropriate fear, as in there's nothing to be afraid about, but our our fear meter's mm. going sky high. And again, pulling the Christian card out, Jesus has a famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount where he does so much of this. He says, don't worry about tomorrow because you can't, your fear is not going to change anything. That's an inappropriate fear. But do worry about today. Mm. That is an up, that's an appropriate fear. Yeah. You do need to be responsible for things you can be responsible yeah. for. What has been the greatest fear of your life, you reckon? Well, I've done crazy stuff, right? I've backpacked Africa. I've thumbed rides in Russia. <laughs> I've, I've done the bungee wow. jump, the highest bungee jump in New Zealand. Wow. I ski double blacks. But the funny thing is, you still feel like you have a level of control. Yes. I can always jump out of this car if the guy attacks me. Let's face it, the bungee jump, you know, how many people yeah, die from a yeah, bungee yeah, jump? Yeah. Probably single digit figures, right? It's... The, I think it's the mundane, little things like I'm afraid of my children's future. Will they have the same level of comfort I've enjoyed? I've been able to live in Sydney, but will my children be able to live in Sydney? I don't know how they're going to even be able to afford rental prices in Sydney mm. in 10 years' time. Will they even find a job? Mm. Like these days, a university degree just guarantees debt <laughs> but with no guarantee of a job afterwards and will i have enough money to live on myself mm. because my super is almost bare mm. and i've got a mortgage to pay off right now so mm. i think my children's future will i have enough money to live on and it only just hit me this morning it's funny you asked me this i'm probably going to get alzheimer's i think i'm guaranteed alzheimer's because <laughs> i used to play rugby and i had so many concussions 20, 30, maybe right. 40 concussions. Right. So I thought, you know what? I'm just, it's not if, but when. So I wonder when I stop being yeah, who I am. Yeah. That's a very scary thing. Those are things that you can't control. You can't control. Yeah, yeah. And those are very things that I guess very close to you. Your kids are very close to your heart. You know, you're a you're a speaker, you're an academic, your your brain functions very yeah. close to your heart. Close to it? my identity, my close sense of identity. achievement. Yeah, 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 yeah. My status, my honor, who I am. Yeah, yeah. Um I guess how do you how do you combat that? How do you live every day without going going mad? Well, basically, it's fascinating with children and their future. You're actually projecting your own fears and anxieties upon them, and so I've got to manage my own fears and anxieties. And suddenly, rise. I think just recalibrating, remind myself. What, what, what Jesus says, you know, in the end, all you need is just enough for today. Mm. Um, of course, be responsible for tomorrow, mm. Mm. but just don't, don't sweat the things that you can't control. Yeah. There, there, there's a loving, powerful God. Yeah. He's got it under control. Yeah. You just manage what you can manage yeah. and just do the best. Yeah. And again, just knowing, just knowing, it, you know, 
wealth and all that is no guarantee of happiness. Mm. And we have so many counterexamples of wealthy, successful people, profoundly unhappy. But somehow it's funny, like I know, I know a hundred million dollars isn't going to make me happy because you've seen the counter examples in life. But deep, deep, deep down, I feel like, but a thousand dollars more would make me happy. <laughs> I'm not asking <laughs> for a hundred thousand. Or sometimes I think, a hundred million would make me more happy. I'll be the guy to prove them wrong. I'll give me the money and I'll prove I can be happy with a hundred million dollars. Yeah. But also again, the identity thing. Just know I'm a human being, not a human doer. Mm. So I am not what I do. I am not what I achieve. I'm just who I am. Mm. And if one day I have Alzheimer's in a nursing home, you know, that's who I am. I still have just as much dignity and worth you know, here's a funny thing. When a baby is born, they poo everywhere. They, 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 they can't talk coherently and they dribble saliva everywhere. And we go, oh, it's so cute. It's so cute. Because <laughs> that is who it is, a baby. And I've often thought, okay, when I have Alzheimer's and I'm sitting in a you know, wheelchair, lying in a bed, pooing everywhere, dribbling everywhere, why can't people say, oh, that's so cute, because that is who he is. <laughs> I put a Sam Chan with Alzheimer's. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I remember one of my best friends said to me, um, you begin life having your bum wiped, yeah. and you, at the end of your life, you have your bum wiped as well. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have three boys, so I've had to raise them through that whole baby stage. Yeah. And when I used to change their nappies, I hate it. You never get used to it. You never like it. But whenever I used to change their nappies and it's just poo everywhere, I used to say to them, one day you'd be doing this for me. <laughs> but you better bring a bucket and a hose. Yeah. Alzheimer's, I was reading a particular book called um, Dementia, written by John Swinton. And because my family has um, Alzheimer's on both my mum and my dad's side. And um, I remember my dad telling me, oh, my, his mum, my grandma, had Alzheimer's and he would tell her the gospel um, every 10 minutes. And she would say, yeah, yeah, I believe it. And then 10 minutes later, she would, she'll forget about it. And so the question he asked me was, do I keep telling her? Like, does she need to hear the gospel um, that many times for her to be saved? And then this particular book, John Swinton writes, and a uh, great guy, John Swinton. And he said, um, what is most important in Alzheimer's is not us remembering God, but God remembering us. And I thought, wow, that just blows away. We live not in our memories because our memories are fallen, but we live in the memories of God, which is not broken and not, yeah. Wow, that is amazing. And it shows, 
Again, we're human beings, not human doers. Mm, it's mm. not what we do. It's not what we say mm. that defines us. It's who I am. Yeah, yeah. And and so, like, my last name is Chan, and that means at some stage I'm related to the original Chan. And I suspect Jackie Chan out there is related <laughs> to the original Chan. And no matter what happens to me in life, I will still be a Chan because somehow I'm related to the original Chan. Nothing will ever change that. And I think that's what it means to belong to Team Jesus, to be in the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus uses all these metaphors mm. that you're of the body of Christ, you're of the kingdom of God. You're of the family of you're God. You're of the family of God. And that means you'll always be part of the family because you've been your your last name orientates you to the original yeah. s- son, the son of God, Jesus. I guess in in thinking about is it true then Christians have a can go through fear with a much less anxiety and fear or sorry go through uncertainty with less anxiety I as a Christian I personally think so because I think in the end they can take everything away from me my health Mm -hmm you know, my income, but I'll, they can't take the most important thing away from me, and that is my identity yeah, in Jesus. Yeah. And that, that it's, as, as you were talking before about having a God in control, in our situations of uncontrolledness, it seems like we, we don't need to. We can, it's that conferred control. We can just give up our control to someone, God, who has ultimate control and say, if he's got in control, whatever's going to happen is going to happen and he loves me. And so I'm just going to continue to plod along doing what I'm going to do, loving him and living my life. Yeah, an example I give, and maybe I gave in an early podcast, is I love driving. But I'm a horrible passenger when my wife drives. But I've just got to remind myself, she will get you home. She's got a better track record than you. She's been driving for decades. She She's in control. Yeah. You just don't like not being in control, but she's in control. Yeah, 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 she's yeah. good at this. She will get you home. And as that saying goes, peace is not being in control. Peace is knowing that someone else is in control. It reminds me, and I think we'll finish it here, reminds me of a hymn that's actually, it's, it's not even, I don't think it's a hymn. It's, it's, it's written, I like a hymn, but it's written by the Gettys, I think. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And, and the chorus goes, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Why? Because for my saviour told me so, He will hold me fast.